Are you ready to begin? I am. Cool. All right, so just close your eyes, maybe take a couple deep breaths, and just realize we're going to be doing something slightly different. And just What you are listening to is a portion of a recent session I did using IFS, or Internal Family Systems. IFS combines systems thinking with the view that the mind is made up of relatively discrete subpersonalities, each with its own unique viewpoint and qualities. In this week's episode, Jordan and I will interview Jay Stamatelos, a self-relationship coach and IFS practitioner. Jay will tell us about his journey to becoming a coach, how he learned of IFS, his passion around practicing the work, and who can benefit. Along the way, we'll have a few laughs and you'll get to hear excerpts from my session. So let's dive in. I'm Ator Toppy. And I'm Jordan Topinka. Welcome to the Authenticity Road Podcast. We started this podcast to share our stories and hear from others about their adventures in men's work. Join us on the journey to our fully authentic selves, emotional healing, and the meaning of modern masculinity. Here on Authenticity Road. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Authenticity Road Podcast. I am Ator Toppy. And I am Jordan Topinka. And this week on the podcast, we have self-relationship coach Jay Stamatelos, who is joining us today to talk about uh, his practice around uh, anxious insecurity and internal family systems, or IFS. Um, I had the opportunity to have an IFS session with Jay, and it was pretty amazing. And you are going to hear pieces of that on today's show. Uh, but first, I'm going to invite Jay to say hello and introduce himself. And uh, Jay, give us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you so much. Well, you know, thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, so I'm someone who I did not start in this space, but I help people repair the relationship they have with themselves. That seems to be the most effective way for the population I work with to create positive change in their life. So I typically work with people who struggle with what I call anxious insecurity, where no matter how much they do, no matter how much they achieve, they're never enough. And this tends to create kind of two behaviors. On the one hand, they constantly criticize themselves and rip in them themselves to try to achieve more and more. Saying, you know, I'm worthless right now, but maybe if I achieve this, then that will make me enough. That will make me okay. That will make me deserving of love, whatever. But it's never enough. No matter how, how many mountains they climb, mm -hmm. they're still looking off in the distance for another one. So because of this, this triggers another behavior, which is always feeling mm -hmm. insecure and withdrawing. That can be physically withdrawing and hiding and shame and pulling away from friends and family, or that can be hiding in plain sight and wearing a mask. And so they're not really living a life that's them being themselves or pursuing their own goals or anything because they're just who they are themselves is not enough. So this is a population I work with and really helping people repair that the relationship they have with themselves seems wow. to be the best way to help them create I, positive I'm, change. You said something there that just sort of, um, has me written all over it, uh, hiding in plain sight and, and wearing a mask. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, I yeah. do that. I do do that all the time and it is completely around, um, not feeling enough and 
the relationship with myself. Uh, so yeah, this work is, is really needed. And, um, how did you get there? How did you find this work and, and, you know, what brought you to doing this? Yeah. So I'm a little bit unique in the coaching world or, or really any of this stuff, because I actually, my, my background before this was counterterrorism. It's why I studied. It's what I worked in. And, you know, as I was, a I think maybe 15 years old when 9-11 happened. And I remember just, you know, sitting in Pittsburgh at home watching TV and, you know, we were worried about a plane coming over Pittsburgh. That was eventually the one that hit in DC and just watching for hours, you know, people jumping out of the windows to their death and the hours falling over and over again on TV. And I just became kind of maybe in a way the self-preserve obsessed with this question, what would make someone wake up and kill thousands of people they never met? And how could we have stopped that decision in advance? So I became really interested in human behavior, um, initially around the application of violence, ended up working at, uh, for the Office of Emergency Management at Homeland Security here in Pittsburgh and um, doing work for what was then the Region 13 Counterterrorism Fusion Center. So like some intel work at the same time. But I ended up getting starting to get really burned out from it. One, because you're dealing with the worst part of humanity. But two, I was dealing with my own stuff. You know, I was in my mid-20s at this point and starting to go to a very dark place and I was going to grad school full-time while also working full-time and with 24-7 call-out. And so you're always on, and but you know that's what winners do. So you can't pare it down. You have to go full speed. And I use kind of that self-criticism and that self-loathing really to keep me going through all of that, mm. to keep performing. And it, you know, at some point, it was like writing a check that eventually bounced. I didn't have anything left in my tank. I spent it all tearing myself apart. So I had a deep breakdown and I was very, very fortunate to have a very close, to have a good network around me. I had, my best friend was the one who found me kind of when I collapsed in the bathroom. And then later on, I had a very good friend and mentor who was this older guy who was, we, we became friends. He was a chaplain for my high school and I, I was an agnostic atheist this, by this time, but that didn't matter. We still had this deep friendship and he kind of, he we started meeting for a few sessions because I was afraid to go into traditional therapy because one, I didn't have the best experience from the little bit I had with it. And two, I was afraid that it would hurt my career because to have that on my record for some of my jobs, I couldn't have any sort of diagnosis on. So, but what he did is he, he created a space where eventually I just, I showed him all of the worst inside me. I mean, I just dumped hmm. every piece of self-loathing, everything about myself. I hated. I dumped it all out. Hmm. Right. In, in this really powerful and very intense hour and a half uh, session we had. And, but he still held me after that, you know, at the last moment when I was just realizing, oh my God, what did I just do? I just told this person who I really care about, this person who I've been friends with for years, the worst of me, what's he going to do? And, you know, what he actually did, you know, I looked up at him in nervousness and he looked at me and he's like, is that all? And I said, yes. And he just came and gave me this big hug and said, I love you. And, it was this turning point in my life where I saw what it was like to see the faults, to see the problems, to see the, the deep human imperfection, but still choose to love, to still show the ability to have compassion, to have that empathy and say, yeah, you're not perfect and wow. you have issues, but that doesn't mean you're not deserving of love and respect. And that experience taught me, okay, well, if he can see me in a better way, why can't I? Why can't I start to find a way to treat myself in this way? And this was not an easy journey for me because when you're, you know, you spent 20 some years 
learning how to live with the world and cope with the world through self-pain, it's like learning to walk again. How do you, how do you pursue your goals if you're not allowed to beat yourself up? It took me a long time to figure that out. And, you know, within a few years, I ended up getting into coaching because I, you know, I was tired of working counterterrorism and I didn't really want to do, um, I wanted something more positive. I wanted to bring more positive into the world and to seem like a way that maybe I could help do that. But as I got into coaching, and so I became really fascinated about fear. Why does fear hold us back? How does Mm -hmm. it change our lives? What does it do? Because as I shared my story, what I just went through with my friends, virtually all of them said I went through something similar to it. Maybe not to the severity you did, because for me it was very intense, but we all feel like we're at war with ourselves. We all feel like we're doing this. I just became fascinated. Well, why? Why does it seem an entire generation is tearing itself apart? And then self-compassion seemed to be this thing that really over the years was useful. And then I came across IFS and that has just taken everything to a whole new level. And that's how I got to where I am today. Wow. Okay. So there are like 12 different roads I want to go down. Based on what you just said, <laughs> based on that monologue and like, I know what we're here to talk about, but right. there were a shitload of other things in there that I'm like, Oh my God, I want to talk to him about X and I want to talk to him about Y, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, like about nine 11, you know, yeah. I want to, I want to talk to you about that day. Cause I, cause I remember, uh, you know, I had a view yeah. of the trade center yeah. from my living room. Um, and, and, and watch the towers fall. So I want to talk about that. And, you know, I want to talk about like how you arrived at being an agnostic atheist. Um, and you know, what, what that journey was like for you, um, and, and compare notes on that. And, you know, I want to talk to you about like having a breakdown around like not Mm -hmm. being enough. And I want to talk to you about, you know, Spilling yeah. your guts and being mm-hmm. accepted, like spilling your guts to someone and, and having that returned with love instead of rejection or judgment. So, oh my God, I just, I just have to take a deep breath here. And <laughs> well, you can always have me back I'll and keep my eyes back. on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I have to keep my eyes on the prize here. Uh, Jordan, I see you kind of formulating a question there it looks like yeah i'm interested in kind of exploring so two things kind of are sticking with me right now mentioning 9-11 i feel like anyone that was you know old enough to kind of somewhat comprehend what actually happened yeah that's such a memorable moment in the life and so i'm i'm feeling that like i can remember my own situation where I was, you know, I, I think I was middle school. I don't remember exactly what grade, but I was in an English class. And I remember they flipped the TV on, all that. So I'm, I'm feeling kind of like reliving my own memory of that. And then thinking about that in conjunction with that moment that you described where you spilled your guts to your friend and he just embraced you and loved you. I'm curious if that was the first time in your life that you experienced that, where you just kind of you were so vulnerable and it, it was met with that kind of a response. Yeah. I would say 
the probably the person I had the best relationship with in my family or the person who I just felt most unconditionally loved with was my grandmother because she didn't need me to be anyone. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't going to come to my grandmother mm-hmm. and say, hey, here's all the things I hate about myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not typically yeah. how it goes. <laughs> so, you know, initially I actually went to, um, his name was Nace, but I went to Nace and I, I said, you know, I have a problem I don't know how to solve. And he was... You know, he worked at an all-boys school back in Ireland before he came to the U.S. And so he was kind of the guy on campus who, if you were a guy and you had a problem, you saw Nace. And he had that reputation. He was very good at it. And so I went to him initially just saying, I need to know who to talk to. And he's like, well, you could talk to me. And at first I was thinking, ah, oh, I don't know, man. But then mm-hmm. I said, well, what other choice do I have? And it was, it was so wild. So, yeah, I would say at that level, truly spilling mm-hmm. my guts, yes. And there... I'm I'm so lucky to have had that, so lucky that he is the person that he is, and he gave me that space. And the odd part of it was, mm-hmm. at the end of it, you know, it's it's odd to be in the moment that you know is changing your life as you're in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, you know it's <laughs> yeah. happening. That kind of awareness, yeah. Yeah, and I had that as, as yeah. we were hugging each other, you know, afterwards, and, you know, and awesome. I'm crying again, and I'm... It, it, something dawned on me though that it's not like he, it's not like he saved me it's that he gave me a new model for how to engage with myself and it really was that question of well now i can be curious about this if he's able to see this in me and still treat me with love and respect how can i do that myself and that that curiosity just spun me in this whole new direction mm-hmm. you know what you just said like you said a mouthful um, yeah. cause I, I've been there and Jordan was actually there in that moment for me mm. when mm-hmm. I had a healing journey, a very public healing journey, um, at every man. And you're right. He didn't, he, he didn't change you, but he gave you a new model for how to see yourself. Mm. And that is completely what happened right. to me. It was an entirely new model for how to see myself. Um, the other thing that you said towards the beginning that I, I don't want to leave unaddressed is that you said you originally went into counterterrorism because you wanted to know what would make someone what happens to someone that makes them want to go kill people, thousands of people at a time. Mm -hmm. And that topic is just so ripe and raw. I know for me right now, and I suspect for everyone else, because on the heels of the racist massacre in Buffalo and of the school children being killed in Uvalde, this is the question that keeps coming up is so what, what happens in this person's life? What leads this person to become so damaged that they think the resolution is to kill a bunch of innocent people. And, and where that leads me is because I don't have an answer to that question, but where that leads me is to the importance of what you're doing and what we're trying to do in that, you know, we're trying to help 
men, because it's generally men who are causing the problems. Um, oh, yeah. You know, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to help men find the source of their hurt and heal their hurt. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we can bring that kind of healing and that kind of love to men in general, you know, we can really change the world. And, you know, we won't see these kinds of mindless, senseless massacres happening. And, and so I just didn't want to leave that unaddressed after you brought it up because it's, it's so key to what we're doing. And so, so key to what's important about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a big topic. I mean, in, in all rights, it's, it would have to be its own episode for us to even begin to scratch the surface. But oh my God, yes. I think in a nutshell, oh, yeah. there's a lot of pieces here. And the reasons for terrorism, I would say, are actually often different than the ones for mass violence. Um, or at least the justification people give to themselves is different. But, I mean, you're right in that I think a lot, a lot of this is emotion. And we're talking about how do you deal with your emotions. And this is a little bit tangential, but there is a connection. I used to run the only secular men's group in Pittsburgh. I did that for a couple of years, and we called it inner strength training. And so our big focus was how can you respond to the challenges of life from a place of strength instead of fear? Mm-hmm. And so we would do this both with hypothetical and real scenarios where we'd you know, ask uh, – the first time I think I came in, I painted a picture for the group and I said, imagine that you came home and you found evidence that your spouse is cheating on you. You don't have hard evidence, but you have enough to suggest that they might be. There's been issues of infidelity in the past and you don't have the best relationship right now. How do you deal with this? And everyone kind of sat and I didn't have an answer. This isn't, you know, like I'm trying to get you a place. This was a genuine question to the group and we quickly kind of, reach a, a point of saying, well, maybe it's easiest to say, what are the fear responses first and get those out of the way? And then we can go mm-hmm. to, to say, what is a strength-based one? And when we go down fear, you know, what's the first fear is the first fight, you know, flee, freeze. It's fighting. What, what is the fight response? We'll just get angry, try to dominate, try to overwhelm, try mm-hmm. to be aggressive. But that's just weakness masquerading as strength. And I think so many of the situations you bring mm-hmm. up, so many of the shootings, it's weakness masquerading as strength. And... Because when you're engaging life from a place of confidence, when you're engaging Mm -hmm. life, or I'd rather say a place of security, because I really think that's where genuine confidence comes from, is feeling safe enough with myself. Uh, And I would argue that comes primarily from your self-relationship, is you don't have that need Mm because you don't have to respond from fear. You can, you know, when I ask the guys, what's the strength-based response, you know, they could come up with a hundred different fear ones. There was no shortage of fear ones. But when you ask what's the strength-based one, they all kind of repeat the same thing. You just have to go up to your spouse and ask and just be calm and know that this might go one of two ways and you're going to have to deal with it, but knowing you're going to be okay, but you have to go and and just ask. And so you have to, you know, that's the road to go down a little bit tangential, but there is a connection. No, I, I I take that tangent as far as you like. That was, (laughs) that was great to hear. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Just kind of wrapping up kind of what I started. That moment that you had with your friend, was there any... Did you start to feel, I guess, for the lack of a better way to put it, like the pressure building 
of of wanting someone to hear what you had to say, wanting to say all of those things about yourself. And finally, I guess this is raising up something in me where I've, I felt like a pressure where finally it feels like you can't really hold it back and you just have to find someone that you trust enough that you can just spill it. Like, was that your first experience? Did it just come and go or did it build? It, it, so to, to, to connect this to IFS, we would, you know, we would say that I had a lot of exiles. I had a lot of parts of myself that carried a lot of shame and a lot of um, pain. And all, all of us, those parts inside us, no matter who we are, those parts want to be witnessed. They want to be seen and processed. So I think anyone who has that does have at some level inside a desire to be to be witnessed and seen because that is the system knows that's what the, what's mm-hmm. needed for healing. Now we also have protective parts and I had mm-hmm. extremely strong protective parts. I still do. And they're like saying, no, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. Cause if we show this, if we allow this to be seen, we're going to have even more of the hurt and I can't let that happen. So we have to fight back against it. So mm-hmm. everyone, I mean myself entirely, but I guess I'm, I'm saying everyone kind of has this in my experience where there is a push pull between this deep yearning to be, to have our pain seen and witness and this protective belief that we, we have to do everything possible to not let that happen. I would say it was the biggest time in my life in the most profound time in my life where I was able to be seen and witness, especially by that time. Um, it's, it's extremely therapeutic and it's extremely important yeah. for sure. Well, since you opened the door, um, and, and you opened your mouth about IFS. <laughs> now it's the elephant in the room. Yes. Um, I guess we, we need to talk about that. So IFS stands for internal family Correct. systems. Can you give us the Cliff's notes version of IFS, what it means, uh, how it works, all of that? Yeah. So I use, I like to describe IFS in the context of someone's personal experience. So you know, think about the time, think about a time where you felt like there was a division inside you about what you want to do. Maybe there's part of you're in a relationship and parts of you wants to stay and work it out. Another part of you wants to leave, or maybe there's a part of you that feels like, you know, I really want to be myself and pursue the things I want to pursue. There's another part or parts that's saying, no, you have to do what everyone needs of you first. That's what needs to happen. And so we have all this self-conflict. From the IFS perspective, we would say these are all parts that are part of an internal family inside us. And our job, our goal is to bring peace to this family. So uh, Dick Schwartz, who created this system, I would actually argue discovered the system. Back in the 80s, because, right? Yeah, back in the 80s. This is So it's been growing for a long time, and it's really finding its golden age. I think it's starting to. It's exploding right now. Uh because of how big trauma-informed therapies and interventions have become, which is, I think, fantastic. So, you know, I went through my training early last year, and I've been doing, I was doing IFS beforehand, but I finally was able to get into a training. And even at that time, there were maybe 4,000 people on a waiting list, primarily therapists, other people like coaches and nurses and people like myself. Um it's, it's just exploded. So it seems to be so very effective because it, it can do things that a lot of other modalities just try to do. And so it's not, we're not just here to understand why we have pain. We're not just here to understand why we have these different parts inside us that want different things. 
we can take that understanding and we can start to use it towards healing by saying, okay, well, what did you need? You know, this part of yourself, this little boy, what did that little boy need? Mm. Okay. Can we give that to him now? Can we help him release the pain he's holding from his body somehow? Mm-hmm. Do we maybe want to take him out of this this place, this space, this memory that he's stuck in, that he can be with you and he doesn't have to be trapped in this anymore? And there is profound change that comes from making this happen. It's not a magic bullet. It's not always overnight. This does seem to require some degree of building a relationship with your parts, not just working with them once a week that you do have to kind of start to view parts as, as meaningful relationships in your own life at some level. But if you're willing to do that, the benefits are extraordinary. Define parts for folks who might not understand what that means. So we use the word parts because that tends to be how clients where people in general present this themselves. They say, you know, I think we use this every day in English. There's a part of me that wants to do this. There's a part of me that wants to do that. All IFS does is take Mm -hmm. that, and say, okay, well, we can work with those parts. So we would call this a subpersonality in psychological terms. Uh, Jung was big on this, saying we're all made up of you know different parts inside us that have their own wants, their own cravings. That we're not just one person, but we're kind of this like mix of a lot of different personalities inside us. So this idea isn't really new. It's what is maybe slightly new about this is the idea that we can bring, we can get all of the parts on the same team. So even if you have a harsh critic. That's telling you you're worthless and you're crap. You know, the, the population I work with and what I went through myself, that critic's trying to help you. There is some, it, it might even hate its job. It might hate that it has to talk to you this way, but from its point of view, right. this is what it has to do to keep you safe. And so maybe once we, we heal the wounds, whatever, if it's protecting an exiled part, you know, some younger part that's in pain and it's either protecting that or maybe it's trying to push it away so that it doesn't explode and cause you to you know, kind of fall apart and not be able to live your life. If we can help it in that way, or even help it from whatever pain it's carrying, it might not have to be a critic anymore. It could transform. It could transform into a cheerleader. It could transform into someone who tries to help you make good decisions, changes the way you engage with other people. Parts are not their jobs. They're, they're just a part of you that, you know, jobs often were imposed on them that they felt like they had to do this. And so we want to help all of them. To some so in doing a little reading about this, it, uh, and tell me if this is an oversimplification, oversimplification, but, um, but basically there are kind of three sorts of parts. There are exiles, managers, and firefighters. Can you right. talk a little bit about what those kinds of parts do? No, exiles obviously are the, the hurt parts of us, right? Yeah. And they're actually the ones that, that, play that takes center stage. So it's all about the pain. So we've already talked about exiles or these, like, you know, so IFS would not say that we have an inner child. It would say we have inner children, but even though exiles can also be formed as an adult, uh, there's no limit on, you know, when they're formed, they tend to be formed when we went through an extreme experience that we had to face alone and it was overwhelming for us and we didn't have the capacity. And more importantly, we didn't have the network around us to help soothe us and help us process this. So we were isolated Hmm. as we went through this. Um, So that energy is often a very sad, panicky, debilitating energy. If you were to just live in in constant exile energy, you you wouldn't be able to function. You'd be a mess. So managers tend to, they want to prevent Mm -hmm. exiles from being triggered. 
So they will either, they want to manage all the parts of your life. Cause if I, I, if I can control everything, then I can make sure nothing happens that will trigger me, that will make me feel bad. And so I just have to control everything. And if I control everything, everything's going to be fine. And according to IFS doctrine, these are people that typically deal with depression or would be diagnosed with depression as you're, cause you're, you're on such lockdown mm. that there's no room for living because everything is about preventing the pain from being hit. Now, no manager is able to do, they, they all have an impossible job. There's no way to do that job hundred percent. So exiles will be triggered in some way, shape or form. Mm. And when that happens, now we have this big energy up and we need to calm it down. That's where firefighters come in. Well, managers are very focused on the long-term and controlling firefighters, generally speaking, primarily care about what feels good now. Cause I have to, I have to calm the system. So we call them firefighters because like firefighters, their job is to put out the fire. Now, if they bring in a lot of water to your house and they wreck your house in the process of putting out the fire, that's okay. Their job is to put out the fire. So firefighter behavior will be, you know, addiction is often has a strong firefighter component of, you know, I, I'm feeling terrible, but okay, if I drink, if I smoke, if I have sex, if I watch porn, if I play video games, if I binge on TV, if I dive into my work, if I work out ad nauseum, you know, that's okay. That'll make me feel better for right now. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we'll see a lot of firefighter behavior with that. And so you always have kind of this bouncing between these three parts that tends to all be focused on this exile, this original pain, because the firefighters often don't like their job. The managers don't like their job, but they're trying to keep stability in the system. They want to keep the system stable and functional. But once you heal that pain, all that energy that used to be spent on trying to keep things controlled or keep the pain away, you now have, you now it's now free energy. So you don't have to spend it all on managing yourself or on chasing relief. You can spend it on, you know, maybe living your own life or whatever it is you want to do, or just being at peace and mm -hmm. feeling what that's like. So what's step one? Is it identifying those three pieces like in myself and actually putting them in a way, maybe it's on paper or just calling them out, but just for me to identify what I'm feeling and understanding what they're actually trying to do. Because there's been times in my own life, whether it's been, you know, I've, I deal with a very harsh self-critic. I feel anxiety about numerous things. And often I will get to a place where it feels like emotional AFib, where it's everything just, it's overwhelming. And I'm feeling all this stuff like this, just this buzzing energy. And I, my response is to almost freeze and I don't know what to do next. And I feel stuck. So from that point, if somebody comes to you in that instance where they they just feel stuck, there's just this overwhelming, like maybe they're feeling pieces from all three and they don't know how to segregate them. They don't know how to make sense of it. They just, they're overwhelmed and frozen. So we would slow it down and we would name all three or whatever they're feeling. And we would try to just create room for all of it and say, okay, well, can we, can we maybe give everyone enough space? We're not going to try to dive deeper right now. We're not going to try to go. And can we first at least find peace among all of these parts and then ask who needs the most help first and just start there. IFS doesn't, we don't, we're very curiosity driven. So we would probably, you know, if, let's just say you had this strong critic and it sounds like the critic comes first and then possibly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe after the critic comes up and you have these intense feelings that 
and then you have something that's kind of blocking you or get, is getting overwhelmed and shutting mm-hmm. down. And so we would maybe start with a the critic there mm-hmm. because that seems to be moving first, but we would really be curious and just slow down and say, who needs the most help first? So as far as slowing down, is this more of, cause I feel like personally and probably a lot of people out there, it would be easy to stay in your head and just try to think your way through it and find maybe something that makes sense logically. What does, Correct. what does slowing down look like? Do, are you intentionally getting out of your head and feeling yes. what's going on? Okay. That's a great point. So we would call those thinking parts or analytical parts. And we would, you know, I would often, a lot of people I work with have very strong ones. I do too. And we would maybe invite these parts to say, look, we know you've been working so hard at trying to figure this out and putting logic to this. But if you would be willing to maybe be an observer for the next hour, if you'd be willing to maybe take notes, because let's, you know, we, we've done so much work on trying to figure this out. Let's see if we can just be curious and just present with the emotion and let the emotion lead us first. And then we can come in afterwards and put logic to what we have found emotionally. Couple of things. One is the slowdown part. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Jay and I did an IFS session, and it was very revealing, uh, very illuminating for me. But the slowdown of it reminded me completely of what we do in men's work. You know, of slow down get into your body. What are you feeling? What's coming up for you? Where are you feeling it? We know what do those feelings feel like. And so it was actually, it all felt in a way very familiar, uh, if for, for folks who have done men's work. Um, the other thing that I wanted to address based on what you said was when folks listen to my IFS session, they will hear at one point that I was feeling a feeling. And then I said, well, I'm not feeling that feeling anymore. And you said, so is it possible that, or or maybe you didn't ask the question, maybe you said it as a statement, you know, it's possible that you're still feeling that feeling. It's just that another part came in to try and calm the system. And so rather than letting you feel that bad feeling, this other part, which I assume is a firefighter would have come in to try and, uh, right. Put out that fire so that, so that I didn't have to feel that bad stuff. Um, and I, I think I think when when folks listen to to my session, they'll hear echoed in there a lot of the things that you've just said over the past few minutes. Because as I was listening to you, I was going, "Oh, that's why he did that. Oh, that's how that worked." Now I get it. Now I understand. Um, yeah, I remember so, yeah. that moment you're talking about, and I did. I took a little bit of a risk of because I think what you said at the time was it went away. That could have happened, but for whatever reason, it was feeling more, I think something minus something stepped in and it worked for us to go down that road. So that was, that intuition seemed to be good. So parts really do try to manage it. And 
you know, we want to extend the same gratitude to that part to say, Hey, you know, we realize you're trying to calm things down. That's really important. But, you know, we also want to let this part know that we are doing something different that you haven't done before. And if it's willing to step back, it will see that you are able to be with this part that needs help and you can feel these hard feelings and you're still going to be okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thinking seems like the enemy of doing this work. Um, (laughs) You know, because, because these, these logical parts of you want to come in and start filling in with logical stories about the things you're thinking and the things you're feeling and the memories you're having and whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and so it starts creating these other parts start trying to analyze. And I know for me that analyzing and breaking down situations so that I can understand them so that I can integrate them in the moment is very comforting. And I could see those parts of of mine rushing in to analyze what I was saying and then craft reasonable stories around them. Uh, And if you just invite those parts to not do that and to just Mm -hmm. take notes, I I actually something that didn't make it into the final recording, but um, so people won't hear this, but you, you asked me to, to send my parts somewhere safe and uh, you suggested (laughs) building them a house with a window where they could watch what was going on. Uh, but they'd be safely behind the window and and not able to interfere. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that was, that was my only, my only point there was just to say that thinking is sort of the, um, anathema to doing this work productively. Yeah. And even that situation, I mean, I can imagine someone listening to this who hasn't heard this saying, Oh my God, what is this? But it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it's it's the oddest thing. And, you know, it it, totally works. as someone who, because I'm on this on both ends, as, as a lot of people who really care about IFS, this is something I do with others. And I, I work as a client myself on and My parts are very grateful, especially those small scared ones. When I create a safe space for them, or often it's become for me, just, you know, stand behind me. I'll keep you safe. You can just stand behind me. But finding something that lets them feel peace. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking to me is a lot like anger. And the thinking feels like anger in the sense that it gets a somewhat of a bad rap because yeah. we've never learned how to really use it to benefit us. Like mm. I feel when, when I really get into my head and I think about something, I can do some of my best problem solving, you know, some of my best analyzing. Mm. And that's also the very door that my critic wants open to step in and be like, yeah, but you know what? Look at this too. And look at this. And then it's just a field day from there. Cause I'm already in my head and in that space and it's just a free for all. Yeah. Right. One of the analogies I've used with people in the past, cause it works for me is to say, can we approach this like a scientist? This is how my meditation teacher mm-hmm. had us learn about being present with something years ago where she said, you know, let's observe this like a scientist. Let's be really curious about what this is like, because even a scientist is very analytical they, you know, you are, it is all about the analysis and breaking things down, problem solving, but you start with collecting data and you can't collect the data unless you really are open to being, well, what is the problem? What is going on? What is happening here? So in a way I would like to say we're actually Mm -hmm. empowering thinking parts by giving them better data 
to use for thinking in between our sessions and in our daily life. Mm -hmm. You even actually used that word with me at the beginning of my session. Mm. You said if they can just step aside so we can collect data. Um, yeah. The other thing is I, I lost count. I should probably go through that recording and count I lost count of the number of times <laughs> you said the word curious. Let's just stay yeah. curious here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and it's kind of funny that, so I knew that I was going to be seeing you this sure. evening and I knew we were going to be recording this session and I was in a men's work session this afternoon and the facilitator said a couple of times, well, let's be curious. Let's just stay curious. And I'm like, does he know that I'm seeing Jay tonight? That's, that's Jay's yes. big, big word. Curious. But yeah, being curious around this, you know, as folks will see when they hear my session, I was flooded with memories of things that I literally haven't thought of in 50 years. Like these memories from my childhood that were completely lost that I had, hmm. that I think if you had asked me about them, I would probably have said, sure. Yeah. I kind of remember that. Um, but whereas in the middle of our session, it just came flooding right. back to me in this mm -hmm. sort of excruciating detail. That's um, so fascinating. Just the way, cause I've experienced the same. I have a terrible memory of my childhood. And the more that I get into this work and I explore and I open myself up to myself, there's more things that pop up and come back. And it's just, it amazes me every yeah. time how and what your body stores that you don't yeah, even give it credit for. That has been one yeah. of the most profound things. I even, I was in a recent consultation group with, with a, a group of IFS therapists and, I, and we're all comparing notes and you know, the one asked, have you seen with clients where they will have a memory come up that they, they didn't know happened. They had no knowledge of this happening before. And I said, this has actually come up in my system. I, I, things came up from my childhood. I have no working memory of, but I saw it clear as day when I was with that part and we were just very slow and we were very open with it. But again, the nice thing about IFS is we're not just on some masochistic quest to find our pain and bathe in it. Right. We're, mm -hmm. we're doing this work so that we can heal the pain. Right. And that to me is what is so powerful about it. Right. Yeah. Pain Definitely. being a lot of the data points used Correct. to complete the picture. Right. So when is IFS the right choice as a modality? You know... It's almost, uh, God, I'm, I mean, this is going to show how obviously down the rabbit hole I am. I think a better question is, when is it not the right choice? Okay, um, when is it not the right choice? You know, I've heard people saying that it might not be the best thing for schizophrenia, but there does seem to be pushback against that from certain people. And, you know, saying maybe it can be used. But, I mean, this is used in everything from addiction to couples to self-critical work I do to self-harm to eating disorders to ptsd i mean to even now psychedelics this is becoming the really uh, one of the primary if not the primary modality used with psychedelic assisted therapy it's because it seems even people naturally start mm. to do parts work when they're on psychedelics at a at the correct level to have therapeutic change happen they start to see the parts of themselves and they start to do healing work with it almost automatically so 
you know, maybe we'll find out even schizophrenia falls under this umbrella somehow. And I'm just not aware of that right now, because obviously I am not privy to all of the information in the world on IFS. But it's it's hard for me right now to find an application where this isn't in some way applicable. It's easier to do this with people who have done Mm -hmm. some work already. But you can do this with someone right off the street. I have and I am right right now with clients. You know, it's funny that you should mention schizophrenia because towards the beginning of the episode, when you were describing how it works and what you do, um, I was thinking that this almost sounds like, not that it sounds like schizophrenia, but uh, in a practical sense, but that it embraces this idea of schisms in, and in personality. Yeah. And, and that it seemed like that there might be people for whom this could be dangerous, a rab- a dangerous rabbit hole to go down. Um, but based on what you're saying, I'm thinking that's probably not true. Yeah. So a lot of people will compare this to DID, which is the modern dissociative identity disorder, which is the modern name for what used to be called multiple, multiple personalities. And even when, in Dick Schwartz, right. when he's giving presentations on IFS, he says, you know, this is, this will remind a lot of people of DID where people have these different alters. We just call alters parts. It's our assumption that all of us have different personalities inside us, but for someone who's diagnosed with DID, their parts are very extreme. So their parts totally take them over and they bounce between them in these very dramatic ways. Um, But that's just a very extreme form of what kind of happens for all of us at some level. So, yes, I mean, it is important, I should say, to work with someone who is qualified to work with you, who mm. has has experience with your types of systems, right. I think is something that is maybe not emphasized enough in IFS. Like, I am very good with critical systems that where people have a lot of shame. I'm not going to work with someone who has PTSD for more. I'm not going to work with someone who has, you know, some sort of extreme mm-hmm. big T trauma. That's That's... Could I possibly? Right. Maybe, mm-hmm. but the, I don't want to. That's not my sandbox. That's outside of my purview. So there is, you know, there as a client, if you're looking for this, I think it is important. You know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're curious about using this in your own right. life, right. as you look for someone to work with, be very open about. You know, here's what I think I need to work through. Is that something you feel comfortable with? And people should be very honest with you in their answer. That's a that's a great a great uh, pointer. So I actually have a question for Ator, and Ator, if this didn't come up in your session, then I'll turn it over to Jay, but I would imagine there is initially a sense of fear about or around what's going to come up. What am I going to discover? What's this all going to be about? What's it going to feel like? Ator, did you feel a shift where you move through the fear and you, you kind of got past that where you you let go and you opened up and maybe I don't know if you're the ideal person for this question because of all the, the men's work that you've done prior to your session and you're a very open person, you know yourself, but what was there like a crescendo of this fear and then like a dissipation or Jay, do you see this with clients where there's kind of a reluctance to open up and then all of a sudden something is hit or released and just a floodgate of, I don't know if you want to call it memories or information or stuff that just overwhelms whoever you're working with. Does any of that resonate? So we would, in IFS, we would just work with that as a part. 
we'd say there's so there's a part of you that is concerned about showing up and letting these things be heard what is that part worried about what is a concern might happen if you do this what do we need to know about this so it's, it's certainly something we can work with and then i guess what would say this this journey goes on for a couple of sessions I guess I don't, I don't really think there might, maybe there is a consistent time period, but what does, what can somebody expect, you know, progress to look like or feel like as you get into it? That is, it's almost impossible to say. Um, IFS is very different than most other modalities because you're not rewarded for pushing harder. So in something like CBT, which is what coaching was originally derived from. CBT is all about trying to manage in some way. Either you're reevaluating your thoughts, you're trying to implement different behavior, you're trying to find a new way to assess something. Mm -hmm. In those, in that modality, you are rewarded for putting an effort, and the modality demands effort. IFS is the opposite. Instead of adding things to your life, we're actually doing a system of subtraction. We're trying to take things away to make your life easier. So in IFS, we, there's this, you know, it's a saying that, you know, Mm. slow is fast. The slower you're willing to go, the faster you're actually going to have progress. So being able to slow down actually will get you better results. So the ability, if, you know, to answer your question on what Mm. can you expect when you're starting IFS, the real answer is the less you expect, the more you're going to get quicker. And that's just the nature of the beast. Generally speaking, that almost sounds like that almost sounds like a little pre-work challenge because I feel that's that's so accurate. The, and Ator, you can, if you want to get into this, you can. The I am nothing that you had to work through, but yeah. I think the piece of dropping an expectation or a box or an image you're supposed to fill and let it fill with what naturally wants to be there is the. So key. just if, just in, uh, for full disclosure to to listeners, uh, we had a little technical glitch there. I dropped out and uh, had to go about go out and come back in again. Uh, so yes. I didn't hear some of that conversation, um, but but I would love to pick up the conversation from where I left, uh, which was Jordan asking if I felt fear, um, and yeah, and my answer is. Uh, that no, I did not feel fear at all. Um, in fact, it was the opposite. I was extremely comfortable. So from the minute that, Hmm. well, first of all, Jay and I had sort of a nice conversation beforehand, uh, sort of a get to know you kind of 15, 20 minutes. And then we talked about some of my issues. (laughs) Um, and, and So I was already comfortable, um, but I dropped sort of right in. I mean, from the time, you know, Jay said, you want to, you ready to get started? And, and, and he said, okay, so relax. I was down in a trance in no time. So I just went, I just went straight there. And actually I, I'll, I'll say this publicly. You gave me the second best compliment I have ever received. (laughs) Um, and that was, so so the first best compliment I ever received was, uh, when I was at this bar in Tokyo and a guy told me that I sounded like the voice 
on the how to speak English cassettes that he learned from, (laughs) (laughs) which was the greatest compliment I ever received. But the second greatest compliment I ever received was that putting me in a trance was like drinking a glass of water. Which is, <laughs> which is what I think you said. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so to answer your question, Jordan, there was no fear around it whatsoever. It, there was curiosity and there was sort of one point where nothing was coming up because obviously there was a protective part that was stepping in to keep me from seeing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say, obviously it's not obvious that that was what was happening. That's what we suspect was happening. Um, but once I sort of got past that, then it was just all like, you couldn't shut me up. It was just all flow from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, there was, there was no fear. And I don't know if someone who doesn't do this work a lot would, would find themselves being a little apprehensive. Um, I mean, maybe I'm coming at mm-hmm. it from the point of view of somebody who's used to just going into a trance and, and exposing himself naked, mm-hmm. you know, uh, emotionally. Yeah. There's something to be said you about know, that for um, sure. Uh, but like somebody off the street, I don't know if they would be afraid as much as they just might find it peculiar. Um, like mm-hmm. what you're, you're asking me to do what you want to, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to talk to parts of me what that doesn't make any sense um Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's that's where where i came to it from there uh and jay i presume that you answered this question while i was out of the room um i'm not entirely sure i presume that the recording continued while i was out i believe so yes um uh how did you answer how did you answer the question just just for my curiosity so, yeah, so I didn't want to, I was really curious and I wanted to give you full permission to say your own piece, but I, you know, I just responded to Jordan that it, people do, people are sometimes hesitant, often hesitant to share things. And that's just the part, that's just the part we can work with. So mm-hmm. what are you concerned about? What about sharing things where you concerned might happen? And there's a lot of really common fears and they're all things we can work with. So it's just part of the process. Even in our training, we, you know, so it's a, a very intense training because you think you're going to go in learning how to do this with clients and it's all about you and your own parts. <laughs> so it's just, you know, imagine doing this for like, you know, eight <laughs> hours a day, just full speed. And oh, man. we do these things called demos and where you, the instructors will pick someone from the class. Or you put, you, you know, we would put our names in and they pick someone and you do a demo and you know, we're all professionals. We're all doing this work. Almost everyone. Myself included, because I went through one, started it by saying, well, so there's a part of me that's really nervous doing this in front of the entire class. (laughs) 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 And it's like, so, you know, all right, you know, so we had to spend, everyone spends, you know, four or five minutes working that part, doing whatever's needed to find it safe. And then we're off to the races. So it's, you know, you were, yeah, it was like drinking water with you. You just dropped in and we just went from zero to a hundred instantly. It was Great. But if that doesn't happen, that's okay too, because it's not that big of a deal. It's something we can work with. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Jordan, I'm curious about the conversation while I was out of the room. How did, how did being nothing come up? Was it just about being a blank slate when you approached doing this work or? I had asked 
what somebody could expect in a couple of sessions or in a period of time, what progress might look like. And so that's where he was just saying progress, I guess maybe this isn't your response, but to me, it's like, it doesn't come up or show up linearly that there's no expectation of what you're going to look like as you make progress. It's just whatever comes up. It's the nature of the beast. The motions aren't linear. So we have to follow the emotion. Um, well, and Jordan, to your to your point about being nothing, um, yeah, I mean that was so so Jay, that was sort of a journey that I took in in learning to just be sort of a empty vessel, uh, particularly when I'm doing work with others, and not to be sort of divorce myself from outcomes and expectations, and so just going to a place of being nothing, and. Um, that actually Mm -hmm. is a really helpful point when it comes to doing this, just, just be empty, be curious, just let whatever comes come. And I was shocked. I mean, I, I really was. And like, like pizza or cookies, this just left me wanting more. Like I just, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I just want to do this again and again and again. Because it's just so mm-hmm. revealing and enlightening. Yeah. And enlightening in the sense that it brings light, but also mm-hmm. enlightening in the sense that I feel lighter. <laughs> I felt lighter after yeah. after doing it. I mean, it's just, you know, all this shit that was weighing me down. And the, the place that I came to, um, and for those of you who listen to the session, which will be, which is part of this episode, um, Mm. where I met this little boy version of me and, you know, uh, all Mm. I wanted to do was, was cradle him. All I wanted to do was hold him and pick him up and, and cradle him. Um, and it was, I mean, saying that out loud sounds really strange, but it was incredibly intense and mm-hmm. a, a beautiful, intimate moment with myself. Yeah, there's something I'd like to bring up about that moment, too, which is if, if you listen to the recording, you'll notice that you express that desire. But I checked to make sure that that's also what the little boy wanted. Right. And when he yes. gave the affirm on that, that's when we moved in. And it's the thing that's very powerful about IFS is we're not going into like kick down doors and demand change. We really are letting parts mm-hmm. lead the process because that just leads things to work better. So you had, you know, in that moment, you had that good intuition to be with that boy in the way he needed someone to at the time. We were able to confirm that with him. And it just seems to, you know, what it sounded like and what I hope happened is it deepened the relationship on both sides. It allowed you to feel closer to him and it allowed him to feel closer to you and to realize, Oh, I have someone here who mm-hmm. is able to be with me in a way that someone wasn't able to be with me back then. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. And there was a component of that, that was this desire for an adult man to hold me mm-hmm. because I never got enough of that. I never got enough of an adult man saying, you know, at a boy sport, you're a good boy. Right. Um, 
you know, and I got to do that. I got to, I got to pick him up. And I don't, and if you hear what I'm saying to him, I'm, I'm saying it's okay. You're okay. Um, uh, it's, it, it was intense. I'll say that. So we're, we're yeah. coming on towards the end of our time together. Uh, Jay, I'm, I have a couple more questions. Uh, the first question that I have is, um, why, well, I know why wouldn't someone want to do this, but, um, when is the right time for someone <laughs> to say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do this. Let me, let me try and find a practitioner. I feel like that. I mean, I mean, do you have to be very, do you have to be sort of experiencing deep trouble or no. is this something that just anybody would benefit from just, even if, even if you think your life is working just mm. fine, like you'd still benefit from kind of doing oh yeah work. i mean because we all have pain i mean the the yeah. and it's not the way i usually bring it up with people now if you if you have a live fire that you need to deal with and you've been trying to deal with this fire and you haven't found a way that works yet and you've tried different approaches already you know there's no reason really to break to wait why not try this if you don't have a live fire but there's something right. in you that's curious about this. There's probably a reason why there's something in you that's curious about this. And, you know, I often propose it as, well, mm -hmm. what, is there anything in your life that you don't understand about yourself and you'd like to know why? So for a lot of mm -hmm. people that will be around relationships, either I can't stay in a relationship. I constantly bring people in them, push them away, or no matter what I do, there's this like, fear this you know for or for my population no matter how much i achieve it's never enough no matter what i do it's never enough i can get all the awards i can get the house i can have the business i can be a professional athlete i can do whatever it is i'm doing mm -hmm. get you know have be on the dean's list whatever your thing is it's still not enough you know if there's a if there's just something that you keep hitting up the wall against that is what ifs just excels at it just excels at that so Barring any sort of major issue, if there's something like that, you've just been banging your head against the wall, this is a great thing to try. Okay. So that having been said, I think one of the great things about this as a practitioner must be the fact that you don't need to be in person with someone to do this, that right. you can actually do it online because we did it online very effectively mm. um, right. with me in yeah. Massachusetts and you in P Pittsburgh. Um, if folks want to find out more about this, how can they reach you? How can they find out more about you and perhaps get in contact with you? Yeah. So you just, the best way to get in contact with me is just to contact me through my website, which I assume will be in the, in the show the notes for this yep. podcast or Absolutely. something. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a long, unnecessarily long Greek name, James J. Stamatelis.com. <laughs> uh, you know, but I go by J, but just come there. There's a forum, you know, uh, submit yourself, reach out to me. And, but before I work with anyone, I always make sure we have at least, you know, a 20 minute talk beforehand, because not only do I want to hear more about what's going on with you, but I want to make sure that I can provide what you're looking for, that your situation, I feel confident that I can deliver, that this is something I feel okay with. And if it's not, I'll, you know, either via the email beforehand or in the call, I'll say, you know, I really think you might want to consider X, Y, Z options instead, whether that's a different person or a different approach. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I really try to vet people before I, I, um, 
because I want I want to deliver results. I don't want to just work with someone and run in circles. So, you know, just right. con- submit right. something through the website. We'll right. have a brief conversation over the phone, and if we feel comfortable, we'll set up a session. And if the session goes well, then we'll you know put something on for it to be regular after that. Cool. Now I don't know if Jordan has any other questions. Um, I don't. I would just leave the prompt that Jay, if there's anything on your mind that you didn't get asked that you would like to bring up, I would like to give you the opportunity. Bastard. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> That's what you get when you leave the room. See <laughs> <laughs> <Still> your thunder. <laughs> Son of a gun. It's a great question. Well, it's my question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is maybe focused on, this is focused on the population I work with that so many of us do have a desire to be, we are used to creating positive change in our life by being harsh towards ourselves, And it can be very threatening to have the idea that we can heal pain and remove pain because what happens then if I get rid of my pain, is that going to get rid of my motivation? Is that going to get rid of my desire to do better and push myself? Mm. Is that going to get rid of my mm. the need I have to mm-hmm. stay sharp in a very competitive world? And I just want to let everyone know, no. You know, that fear makes total sense that the part of you or parts of you that have those concerns, they make total sense because there's a lot of proof in your life of how this paid off. But there is, you know, once once you see yourself as an ally you want to help mm-hmm. instead of an enemy you want to defeat, all of that energy can now be spent on moving towards the things you actually want in life. So there is there are many ways to create positive change, to still have a high level of... Um, words escaping me to have high standards mm-hmm. and to to make sure you're putting out quality work and things like this without relying on self-criticism and you know there is a lot of compassion ifs but that will lead to a, a better life on the other side well that sounds to me like a natural point for us to conclude this episode <laughs> and uh Jay, I, I just want to thank you so much for all of your the time thank you. and the attention that you have paid to helping us with this. Um, you have you have given uh, freely and gloriously of yourself and your time, and I just could not be more uh, appreciative and grateful. So thank you for that. And thank you. Um, I'm going to take you up on what you said at the beginning that we can have you back again Mm -hmm. because (laughs) you're definitely coming back again. Uh, and, and we've got so many other things to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just can't wait. Not least of all about, you know, whether or not I'm going to start calling you Dimitri. Um, (laughs) There's a teaser. (laughs) That's the teaser, which is there. Yeah. That's the teaser for the, the next time Jay's on. Uh, But so I'll just say that uh, until we see you again on the Authenticity Road, I am Ator Tapi. I am Jordan Topinka. And until we meet again, please be authentic. Goodbye. Ordinarily at this point, the theme music would kick in and we'd send you on your merry way. But as promised, you're going to hear excerpts from my IFS session with Jay Stamatelos. As you listen, please note that this was about 
a 90 minute to two hour session that has been chopped down considerably just so you can get a flavor of what goes on. And also you'll notice the sound of traffic in the background because I was not recording this in the best of situations. So I hope that you will find my session interesting and illuminating, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Enjoy. Are you ready to begin? I am. Cool. All right, so just close your eyes, maybe take a couple deep breaths, and just realize we're going to be doing something slightly different. And just let all of those thinking parts and those storytelling parts and analytical parts and say, you know, let them know their job is really, really important. But if they would be willing to step into the role of observer so that we could collect really good data, maybe just step to the side and watch and take notes. And then we'll invite them in at the end of this so that, you know, they can share their thoughts too. That would be greatly appreciated. And if it feels like you're getting some space, you know, let's just think about this phrase that this belief that you are less than compared to everyone else. And just notice some of the feelings that come up in your body and notice where those are. Maybe the sadness, maybe this anger. Just let me know what comes up as you bring your attention to this inside you. Um, what I feel is like um, sinking feeling. Okay. In my stomach. And tightening in my throat. Okay. Kind of a hollowness in my chest. Okay. Which of these feels the strongest for you right now? The hollowness in my chest. Okay. So let's just notice all of these here. Bring your attention to this hollowness in your chest. Just lean into that feeling. Just see what comes up as you bring your attention there. Maybe thoughts, images, beliefs, feelings. There's no wrong answer. Sort of flashing through my childhood, but these random images that have nothing to do with me being less than. How do you feel towards this hollowness in your chest? Are you okay that this is here, or does it scare you, or does it make you feel uncomfortable? It, it makes me feel incomplete. It makes me feel... Like, a, it's not acute in the sense that I hate it, but I was going to say I don't enjoy it, but I think there's a piece of me that does enjoy it. I think there's a, I think there's a, mm-hmm. uh, there's this aspect that wants to indulge in the victimhood of of being less than indulge in the victimhood of being something um, like it feels good to feel bad okay. because that part, because that craves attention and, and feels like somebody will say, somebody will take pity and go there, there. It's a, it's a bad feeling that feels good. Okay. So we're going to hold all of this very loosely. What's been brought up. And so what what we know for sure is that we know that there is at least some part or parts of this that are holding this in a in a painful way. And we also know that there is some part or parts of this that are somehow enjoying this or like this or want this to stay around. And we're going to be very loose as to why. We really want to try to stay curious here. Just lean more into this sinking feeling in your chest and what else comes up as you're here, if anything. Well, I feel like the the feeling has moved a little bit south to my stomach. So it's more, I feel okay. more of the knot in my stomach, more of the the discomfort there, the cuisine, uh, uneasiness. I don't want to say queasy, but uneasiness. Like something bad will happen. 
So just bring your attention here. Just notice that change and just see if this feeling of a knot in your stomach has anything it really wants to show you or wants you to be aware of. Brief glimpses of my mother, but no, nothing specific. Mm -hmm. No specific episode, no specific time. Um, just like these fleeting glances of my mother. You know, if there's any parts that are trying to figure this out, let's just, you know, still ask if they could give us space. Because if we can be present with this, we're, we really are going to learn more. And we really want to see if these parts can tell us their story themselves. This feeling in your stomach, are you, like, do you have any reaction to it? Are you nervous about it? Are you scared about it? Are you... Uh, really mentally invested in it. How do you feel towards this? Originally, when I first identified it, it felt like dread. And now it just feels like a baseline of, of life. You know, life is, life is just not always happy. And actually, as we've, as we've talked it over, I mean, it's, it's receded a bit. It's being kind of elusive now. It could be receding, but there's also a possibility that something else is coming between you and it in order to try to calm the system down and bring things to stability. Because what it almost sounds like you're saying is you felt a lot of dread and then something maybe came in um, to either numb it or just kind of resigning, saying this is just the way things are and calming it down. Was that correct? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we do this? Let's just say, let's just slow down and let any parts that are here that are maybe scared about this, scared of going to this place, let's invite them to go somewhere where they feel safe and just see if we could make a safe space for these scared parts. What thoughts are coming up? Is it still this resigned thoughts? What, what's coming up for you? Coming up blank. Let's kind of directly ask if there is a part that's maybe trying to help in its own way. And let's just openly ask, is there a part of you that doesn't want you to go further towards this in your stomach and is blocking you? I want to say yes. I, I don't know why the word uncle came up, but I, okay. and I can't put my finger on it exactly, but I want to say yes. Okay. So let's notice the yes and let's notice the uncle and let's just be curious about this and say, what else does it want you to know about this? What else does it want you to know? The only time we ever had guests at my house when my father was home was when his brother, my uncle, and his family would come. And I'm curious if maybe the presence of other people felt like safety because he couldn't hurt anybody if there were other people around. So this is all a strong possibility and this is great context. And we're going to kind of put all this in our back pocket and we're going to lean into this with, you know, uncle and yes, maybe something blocking and realizing how the dynamic changed when you had company over. And let's just kind of stay curious here and kind of listen to this part and ask, what else 
do you need us to know about this? Just getting flooded with these images of outdoor summertime family get together, people running around in the yard. The hell does this mean? Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's just be curious about that. <laughs> we know there's something's trying to figure this out, but I promise that if if we can just stay curious here, we will find these answers. I mean, I literally this image that's coming to my mind is something that I don't think I've has been an image in my mind for 50 years. Okay. Like this notion of of my of my dad's brother and his family coming to visit us in the country and us having like outdoor time running around in the yard. So why the hell are they here? I don't know. But I think we can find out. As these images come up, are you looking at it like kind of out of your eyes when you were younger? No, I'm viewing it from afar. I mean, if you're being okay. like, like an observer. Okay. Do you see yourself anywhere here or just everyone else? Everyone else. Okay. What emotions are coming up for you as you see this image? Carefree, happy, but with an undercurrent of threat, like violence could break out at any minute. Yeah. So there's a certain sense of unease. Yeah, so what it sounds like, and you can correct me, but it sounds like there's a part in you that's telling you that I really enjoyed these moments, but I also felt very uneasy during mm -hmm. them as well. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So let's just be really curious about this and ask that part of you to kind of share more with us. What was it like? What was it like for it to have these moments of carefreeness tied to this undercurrent of fear? Yeah, ask it. What was it like for it? What was it like for you to be that part in that moment? What was it like for right. you in that moment? It was nice. I don't think he saw the underlying threat. I think he just saw that it was fun. It was exciting to have company because it was different. Yeah, I don't I don't think he felt the dread, the the undercurrent of potential violence. I feel like there's either something there's something that we're still not that I'm not seeing, maybe. Would it be more accurate to say that he doesn't see the underlying threat or that he is choosing not to see the underlying threat? I think he feels the underlying threat doesn't exist because the company's there. So he's feeling safety because of the presence of others. Yes. Okay. Do you see this this little boy? I just know he's here, but but I can envision what he looks like. I know what he looks like. He looks like he's a cute, chubby, little, curly, dark-haired, round-faced, giggly boy. Right. Wearing corduroy pants in the summer. Okay. Yeah. How do you feel seeing this image of this boy? He feels special. Mm -hmm. He feels something that he won't feel much longer. Because mm. soon... Does he know this? He doesn't know okay. this. He's going he's gonna to experience the larger world, and he's going to feel like an outsider in the larger world. And he doesn't know this. And so what it makes me feel is I want to shield him from what's about to happen. So what it feels like is happening for me or what I, I feel like is happening is there is a protective part that is showing you why it's doing its job. It's saying, I have this little boy who's about to experience extreme pain that he doesn't know is coming. 
and I need to protect him. I need to shield him from this because it's going to be really bad. Does that sound mm-hmm. true? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So let's let this, this protective part know that we really can be here to help this little boy, and we do want to help him too. And we want to maybe help him in a different way that's going to allow him to still flourish instead of having to be watched over. Does it feel okay with this idea? I want to say yes, but but I'm afraid that I'm saying yes. We will find out if it's... Okay. Yeah, that's okay. So I want to say yes. It's. We'll take this as meaning that we have permission to still engage with this. But there's a couple more questions I want to ask. And the, the main one is, it seems like there's a knowledge that this boy is about to experience some extreme pain. What is that? What happened to this little boy? He met other little girls and boys. Now he's, he's left to fend for himself in a room full of strangers. This protective energy that, we, that has been present here, how has it been trying to protect this little boy? By telling him, by continuing to tell him that he's the smartest, most engaging little boy in the room. Okay. Constant reassurance. Well, it sounds like that this little boy has some sort of a wound. What is this wound that this positive affirmation is trying to fill? Feeling different, I think. So if we could help this little boy heal these wounds so he wouldn't have to carry them anymore, would this protective energy be interested in us doing that? Yes. Great. Would it be okay if we move to the little boy now and try to help him with this? Mm-hmm. Great. So let's extend it lots of gratitude. Thank it for stepping aside. Thank and you. let's just, you know connect with this little boy and see if he's able to know this, that you're there present with him right now. I'm standing facing him, looking down. He's looking up. What else is happening? Are you saying something or are you just present? Just present. Great. I'm enjoying his curly hair and his brown eyes. And how does he seem to feel about your presence? Curious. Does he know who you are? No. Yeah, see if he's maybe... See if there's a way for you to just let him know who you are and maybe even ask him to look you in the eye so he's able to see you for you. Okay. Yeah, how does he seem to respond? Calmly. And how do you feel towards him right now in this moment? Uh, empathetic. Let's just ask this little boy, you know, let's try to connect and maybe deepen a bit of a relationship with him and ask, you know, what would he like to share with you? What does he want you to know about himself and what he's going through? He likes to stand by the teacher's desk and talk to her and hates getting sent back to his seat because he wants to have a conversation. He doesn't want to sit at his desk and do his work. Why is that? Because the other kids don't, don't keep up with him that way. They talk like kids. They don't talk like adults. He likes talking like an adult. So he's, it sounds like he's really used to being around adults and he really prefers that style of interaction. Okay. What would being able to have this chit-chat with this teacher, what would that allow him to feel? Equal. Equal. Great. Does he know that you're here with him now? And that would it, are you open to him having this connection with you? He doesn't know I'm here, but I'm open to having the connection. But I can tell him I'm here. Yeah. Just let him know you're here in that way and see if he can turn to you. And this is totally his choice. Yeah, I don't think he's all that interested. I think he's... well. Maybe there's more for us to learn about this interaction. What what did it feel like for him 
to not be able to have this conversation and be sent back to his desk. Sad. Lonely. Yeah. What more could he share with us about that? Disappointed. Misunderstood. Sad. Yeah, like, you're not seeing me for who I really am. You're not, you're not seeing the value that I bring to this conversation. And what was it like for him to experience all of these feelings as a little boy? What did, what did he do with them? Swallowed, swallowed them. Just, yeah. yeah. He didn't have any power. He didn't act out. A lot of his self-image was based in being the good boy. And so acting out mm-hmm. was not a way that he would express it. So he had a lot of pain, but he wasn't, he already had his own rules that prevented him from being able to express that out. So yeah. he swallowed all of this. What was it like for him to have to do that? Lonely. Isolating. So this felt like a very isolating incident where he had to go yeah. through this all by himself. So let's just kind of still be open to listening to this little boy and, and just maybe let him know that you're really starting to get this. You're really starting to understand how sad and disappointed and hurt he felt. And you're also realizing that he went through this entirely on his own. And the only thing he could know how to do was to stuff mm-hmm. this inside. And just ask, is there anything else he really needs you to understand about him or needs you to know about what he went through so that you get it? I'm scared. Scared. Yeah, what about that? What could he tell you about that? I'm scared of boys on the playground. I'm scared of boys on the bus. I'm scared of my brothers. I'm scared of my father. Sometimes I'm scared of my mother too, but not as often and not in the same way. And what was it like for him to carry all of these scared feelings? It made him sad and lonely. Is it okay if he shares some of those feelings with you now? Yeah. Yeah, just let him know it's okay. Nobody knows why I'm crying. Nobody understands what it's like to be me. I'm the youngest and I don't have any power. And I'm the center of attention and very loved. But I'm also, my brothers don't want a little brother. So just even more of the how isolating this was. Yeah. And feeling very rejected, perhaps. Yeah. Is there anything else he wants to share with you or really feels like you need to know or experience in order to understand him? Smarter than the other boys. And I don't like them. Mm-hmm. And they scare me. What's it been like for him to be able to share all of this with you? He feels like it's just the tip of the iceberg. So let him know we have two options here. Option one is that we can help him release some of this pain that he's been caring about and telling you about. So he doesn't have to carry it inside himself and swallow this anymore. Option two is that we can just... Hold the intention that you're going to still build your, that you are going to learn more, that there's more he has to tell you. And before there's anything that he's really to let go of, there's more that you need to know. Both of these routes will allow you to still have a relationship with him, still have him be close and still let him know he's not alone. But what does it feel like he wants? Does he want to maybe release some of this or does he feel like there's still there's a lot more you need to know? And still we can a do- lot more. That needs to be said, and and it's the beginning of the relationship. Great, great. So how how does he feel towards you right now? I want to say grateful, but I'm not sure if I'm projecting. 
It's okay. We'll, we'll, we're just going to roll with this right now. It seems like you have a good connection with him. We're just going to be open to that. And how do you feel towards him? I just want to hold him. Yeah. Would that be okay with him? Is he open to yeah. that? Yeah, so just allow that to happen. Spend time here. It's okay. It's okay. You're okay. You're okay. I'm just going to put you down now. Yeah. How does he say, how was that experience for him? Good. It's a good experience. So we're going to be moving towards closing out this inside time for this session. But I really want to, before that happens, we're going to spend time building this relationship and just asking, is there anything this boy needs from you or any way he wants to stay connected so that you can build this relationship starting from this point on? Yeah, just, uh, I think he wants to be present all the time. Okay. I think he just wants to be able to talk whenever he wants to and be heard. Are you okay with him doing that? Yeah. Okay. And is there anything he really wants to share with you or with us before we close out this inside time today? I love you. And how do you want to respond to that? I love you too. All right. So we're going to start to bring this out to a close. And I always do this the same way with everyone where I'm going to thank you and all of your parts all of the ones that we spoke to today, and especially all of the ones that gave us space to do this work and thank them for their trust. And I will let you thank your parts however you want to, verbally or silently, and just let me know whenever you're ready to talk. No rush. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thanks so much for listening. We hope what you've heard will help you on the road to your personal authenticity. Visit us at www.authenticityroad.online.